Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. My name's James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing and Global Impact Venturing publications. Great pleasure to be back once again with Thierry Hillis, editor. Welcome, Thierry. Hello, Jim. It's, uh, it's good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, it feels nice. We're trying a new experiment, a different way of recording it. So hopefully it comes through to listeners loud and clear. But um, yeah, but what have been the main highlights over the past week? What's been uh, the top stories? Um, we've had quite a lot of really big stories, actually. Um, starting with one from ride hailing, which was not an area that we hear of much anymore, but it is still a money magnet. And Grab has raised $856 million from Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, which invested $706 million, and TIS, both investing through newly struck partnership deals that will centre on the joint development of payment and financial services technology. There may be a bigger deal in the pipeline too, with reports stating Grab has been in talks with key rival Gojek over a merger that could value the combined company at $23 billion. Yeah, it's a fascinating deal, this one. So certainly a big one of the week. And um, you think about a ride-hailing company, you wouldn't necessarily think why a number of big payment and financial services technologies will be stumping up nearly a billion dollars for a chunk of it. But actually what Grab are trying to do is create that sort of Chinese super app model where effectively, you know, they use the payments in order to hail a taxi, the equivalent, you know, and use that as a way of sort of disintermediating the banks and using mobile phones to to create it. It's a fascinating ecosystem, given that uh, given Southeast Asia is still relatively underbanked. People are just starting to use their phones more. And so effectively, Grab are trying to create what has become the sort of Tencent or Alibaba of Southeast Asia, you know, around this idea of how do people use their mobile phones to kind of create the payments and, and pay for things. And then not just for the ride hailing, you use that as a starting point to then pay for other goods and services and get people online, connected and mobile much more active. So it's a big play. And I think Mitsubishi, which is Japan's obviously largest group and sort of uh, TIS in terms of thinking about the sort of payments uh, more broadly, are trying to say, well, we obviously missed out effectively in China. We can't really access the US too much. Japan is, you know, in a demographic decline. So Southeast Asia, given its population explosion, is a good one. If it works there, maybe they'll be thinking more about what they could be doing in Africa as well, where the whole market in Nigeria and Kenya have really taken off. So I think this is a a big, bold move. It's just the sort of thing that corporate venturing in particular is... uh, doing well where you can align strategic and or financial returns and uh, really drives uh, a whole ecosystem into a shift up and to the left. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, I, I wasn't too surprised to see financial services companies um, invest here either because I remember um, being in Singapore and grab pay is, is everywhere. You, I bought everything from, from coffee to dinner with it. It's just, that's what people use. So I can see with a bit more mining behind it, build out the ecosystem um, as you say, Africa is quite an interesting one. I know um, there's a few countries that use M-Pesa as well, which is basically paying with your phone. Um, so yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting to see um, areas that um, we in, in in Europe have historically thought of as, as being underdeveloped, basically being ahead of the curve here. I don't know if mobile payments outside of Google Pay and and, and Apple Pay, which are still quite rarely seen, I think. Um, we don't really use mobile phones as, as financial services instruments. No, I think it's that sort of shift. You know, they've gone from basically a banking, 
you know, phone culture to a sort of super app culture. And, you know, in that really disruptive innovation, we'll see much more of this sort of so-called reverse innovation, taking the ideas coming out of China, Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, and seeing it more into Europe, but effectively Europe trying to then catch up and then trying to leapfrog and whether they can do so successfully, you know, in the next iteration, next generation of challenges, I think uh, remains to be seen. But certainly in these types of areas, Europe, US are a long way behind in many ways. So funny enough, I'll be giving a talk in um, for the European Commission, which is preparing a 100 billion euro you know, innovation budget in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the areas you go there and you just realise just many of the policymakers, uh, you know, and many of the governments uh, are just completely under aware of the disruption and challenges that are are happening and just about to hit their sort of populations and uh, you know a few of the sort of uh, the smarter folks have in you know you know actually distributing or applying the money they recognize it and i think the european commission has a has a shot if they if they listen to the right advice but it's not all helped by sort of brexit basically taking out a whole chunk of cash and also a whole chunk of expertise given that the uk is you know still the the dominant financial services and innovation capital for for Europe, you know, just having having that at this time, I, I think uh, the Russians and others are just couldn't believe their luck when uh, you know when some of their sort of spam bots uh, took effect in this way. There is quite an interesting. I, I think it happened a couple of weeks ago, but I saw um, N twenty six, which I think is corporate backed as well, um, German uh, mobile bank. Mm. Um, they had 200,000 customers in the UK and they've pulled out because it wasn't worth it for them to go through the regulatory approvals post-Brexit. So they're going to double down on the continent instead. So quite, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's different ways of seeing like this. The other spin was that actually they were losing money and, you know, they've had to retrench from the UK. But it does feel a bit of a shame just at a time when you're trying to get more of a single market, you know, in sort of what was called a capital markets union sort of in place, which actually the UK has spent 20 years driving and trying to push, you know, suddenly it's, it's, you know, all being taken away and they're talking about, you know, hiring 50,000 people to manage the paperwork for customs. And you just, you do kind of, you know, you do think just at the time when, um, when they needed to step up and focus on, you know, broader, more external challenges, you know, the internal divisions, the divide and conquer that actually, funnily enough, from a colonial point of view, yeah, many of the European states have done so well for other regions. It's actually coming back to bite them, and just at the wrong time, it is. It is quite staggering how well just a sort of a stone thrown at the right time into a big puddle can uh, create enormous ripples right out to the edges. So, anyway, we'll shall see. But what else? What else has been happening in Southeast Asia? Um, well, as you said, Southeast Asia, it's, it's been busy there. Uh, Southeast Asia has also been one of the fastest growing areas of the world for corporate VC funds. Uh, one of the relatively early participants here was state-owned telecoms operator Telcom Indonesia, which launched its unit MDI Ventures in 2016 with $100 million, and which has rapidly expanded since. MDI Ventures is targeting $300 to $500 million for its second fund, according to comments made by a government minister last week, and that amount would represent a big step forward in terms of capital, probably justifiably given the recent emergence of unicorns like Grab and Gojek that we just talked about and Tokopedia as well. Yeah, I mean, massive step up. Um, I think MDI has been one of those, again, in the sort of Indonesia region that's uh, really sort of seized the opportunity to set up a venture programme, you know, and then sort of 
as some of the unicorns or as the ecosystem developed, then double down, or in this case, more than double down in terms of what they've been doing. Uh, there's been some moves in terms of personnel over at uh, MDI, but they've got a great team now. I think Aldi, uh, Hartanto, who's running investments are there, and they've got a sort of, they've expanded to the US with Carl King as well. So, you know, it feels like um, it's just an ecosystem that's ripe for, for expansion, population growth, economies growing. I think they even get a new capital as well, given the current one Jakarta's sinking. But, um, you know, um, so, yeah, <laughs> it feels all up and to the right in this case. Uh, so, uh, you know, we shall, we shall see. But we wish them all luck. And, uh, and uh, yes, yeah, they've got some great success stories to, to, to prove it out. Um, back in the US, meanwhile, uh, they do still do deals. Um, Capital G, the growth equity subsidiary of Alphabet, is in line for a healthy exit. As media reports suggest, tax software provider Intuit is set to buy credit management platform Credit Karma in a $7 billion cash and stock deal. Capital G first invested in Credit Karma at a valuation of less than a billion dollars in 2014, and the company was last valued at $3.5 billion in its last funding round in 2015. Yeah, I mean, massive you know, <laughs> exit. We saw, we saw one at the start of the year, you know, with. Um, played that was acquired by Visa for 5.3 billion and we thought oh, that's one of the big deals for the year and then a couple of weeks later or a couple of months later we've now seen sort of Credit Karma being acquired for about 7, 7.1 billion or so and so the fact that sort of Google more broadly uh, has a number of different corporate venture units this one Capital G tended to do larger deals um, and then sort of Google Venture perhaps slightly smaller ones a bit more of a healthcare focus but between the two of them we've seen sort of in the past 12 months, about 27 or more exits just from those groups. You know, Uber, Slack, Played, Shape Security, and a bunch of life sciences IPOs. So fintech in particular is super hot. Um, you know, the sort of startup disruption that was promised five, 10 years ago has been happening. And now we're seeing the sort of the big players really starting to, uh, to, 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 take, uh, to take heed. And we're seeing a number of CEO changes as, uh, as groups respond. I think MasterCard had their CEO change. They've gone from 80% in credit cards, earning their fees from that, to about 50%, all having to understand just what we talked about earlier with Grab, with this shift of payments that are happening. You're not using cards. You're not necessarily having to use a bank. You know, so how are people buying and selling stuff and how do payments and, uh, and, and providers understand that? And, and Credit Karma's got like 200 million or so users. Wow. <laughs> 200 million users is around, not just primarily in the US, but not just there. And you just think if you could get this right, everyone needs cash in some shape or form to be able to buy and sell stuff. Well done on Capital G for another great exit. They've uh, been on the tear, just like Salesforce, actually. Both of them have been doing a lot of exits. Well, and in crossover news with Global University of Entering, and there were actually quite a few of those, and we'll get to more in a minute, uh, we have another exit. The University of Pennsylvania-linked Passage Bio went public on Friday in a $216 million IPO, in which it floated at the top of its range, at $18 a pop, after increasing the number of shares by more than 60%. That's from 7.4 million shares it planned to originally to 12 million shares. The genetic medicine developer officially launched a year ago, though it was incorporated in 2017, but had pulled in $226 million across two rounds from investors including corporate vehicles, Access Biotechnology and Lilly Asia Ventures. It's also allocated 1.8 million shares to a green shoe option, 
up from 1.5 million. And if stock goes the way everyone wants it to, it likely won't be long before underwriters jump on that chance. Yeah, well, congrats, obviously, to Bruce Goldsmith, the CEO of Passage Bar and the rest of the team there and uh, backers, um, you know, such as I think Fraser were in there, Fraser Healthcare Partners and Vivo Capital, you know, obviously must be delighted. You know, the fact that they still only got, relatively speaking, a handful of people within the company, you know, and they could do an IPO really before much has come out in terms of actual products, um, you know, really just shows that if you can find the right thing that's a promising technology that could be applicable across you know, a great many platforms, then um, you know, companies like Eli Lilly um, or, you know, in this case, Access as well, you know, can really think that there's a, a great opportunity. And again, it's a perfect sort of combination of smart VCs bringing some financial sophistication along with some really clever you know, corporates who can understand the sort of the, the place and, uh, you know, alongside a, a seasoned and experienced uh, you know, management team under Bruce. Um, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, Bruce has obviously been around the block a little bit in terms of working in a number of other, other different startups, but this is his first real big uh, CEO role and success in, in this way. And uh, so good to see. Yeah, yeah. Quite fascinating, as you said, that it's it's quite early days. I think the majority of the proceeds have been allocated to um, IND, uh, investigational new drug filings, and, and then they want to fund some phase one, two trials. So it's... It's still very early days for their treatments, but clearly there's some, uh, well, there is some solid science behind it because <laughs> they've got a research deal with, with University of Pennsylvania. But yeah, it's not usually the stage where we see a company go that big with an IPO. So yeah, fascinating. Cool. And it, what's happening with the University of Pennsylvania? Do they get many of these types of uh, spin-out su- success stories, Joe? What's, uh, what's your feeling in terms of uh, sort of shift over in the US around this area? It seems like it, it's, uh, there's more activity at the moment. I mean, we do see University of Pennsylvania fairly regularly. Um, I don't know if we've seen many IPOs. Um, certainly not many IPOs like this one, although they, they are rare across um, university spin-outs anyway. But yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely quite a lot of mu- uh, movement. Uh, we've got another one. I think we're going to mention that in a second. Um, Graphcore, which raised um, another $150 million to add to their Series D, which is now $350 million at a valuation of close to two billion. Um and that's come out of um well that's come out of Bristol University actually, so it's the UK. Um but yeah there's is it's a fascinating um fascinating area. There was another one, Washington University, um PvP Biologics, um that got bought by Takeda. Um they're, they're um they're also quite um quite an early stage. Um I think Takeda um entered a um collaboration agreement a few years ago with an option to acquire it. Which again we're got, we're going to get to in a, in a second, but um, there's certainly quite a few exits lately. Um, mm. Okay, cool. Well, good to hear, and uh, I think it brings a lot of you know interest back into the ecosystem in terms of funding it. I think uh, you know we've seen some funds coming up in, in the UK and US in particular trying to support that early stage university ecosystem, and, and obviously some big rounds coming up. So, all right, more what's happening news and briefs then, uh, Thierry? Uh, well, one of the more interesting corporate investor portfolio company combinations in recent times is the tendency for car makers to invest nine-figure sums in autonomous driving software developers in order to get a foothold in an area of technology thought by many to be the future of the industry. The latest here is Toyota, which has already backed several ride-hailing companies and which just provided $400 million for robo-taxi system developer Pony.ai as part of a $462 million round. Pony, which already counted Comcast Ventures, Kunlun Tech and Legend Star as investors, 
more or less doubled its valuation to more than $3 billion in the process. And Graphcore, as I just said, an artificial intelligence processor developer that traces its roots back to University of Bristol. It's actually a spin-out of Bristol spin-out Exmos. Uh, has added $150 million to a Series D round that now stands at $350 million and values the company at $1.95 billion. The $200 million first tranche included BMW iVentures, Robert Bosch Venture Capital, Dell Technologies Capital, Microsoft and Samsung, though none were explicitly identified as being among the existing backers that joined Bailey Gifford, M&G Investments, Mayfair Equity Partners and Marion Chrysalis in the second close. GV and Intel Capital, meanwhile, have both contributed to a $250 million Series C round for Samba Nova Systems, an AI computing platform developer co-founded by Stanford University faculty that will fuel the enhancement of its technology. GV co-led Samba Nova Series A round, while Intel Capital led its Series B round last year, sized at $150 million, and the increasing ubiquity of AI combined with a move to more complex areas like edge computing we're likely to see the company continue to move up the fundraising levels in the coming years. SpaceX is gearing up for another round of funding, having raised more than $1.2 billion since December 2018 across three different rounds. No word on whether those rounds included existing investor Google. The new round is reportedly set to be sized at about $250 million at a valuation of roughly $36 billion. Overall funding so far stands at almost $3.4 billion. Carius has developed a liquid biopsy test that draws blood in order to discover information on disease by crunching data on microbial cell-free DNA found in the samples. It's also secured $165 million in a Series B round led by SoftBank's second vision fund, which seems to well and truly be up and running, albeit still only with cash from SoftBank itself. Blood-based biopsies will inevitably carry a question mark with them after the Theranos debacle. The carrier's test is being utilised in more than 100 health systems and hospitals. So that is a promising sign. Despite being around some 15 years and racking up 115 million monthly active users, Roblox has kept a relatively low profile in the startup scene, though that may be changing with news of a $150 million Series G round featuring Tencent. The company's created an online platform that allows users to develop virtual worlds and MMO games that others can play, and is reportedly now valued at $4 billion. It's also launching a secondary offering for up to $350 million of common and primary shares. Another company focusing on creativity, sort of, is Uncork, developer of a no-code platform, enabling users to create software applications without coding. It's added $51 million to a Series D round, now totaling $131 million, and Capital G, which co-led the first tranche in October, led the extension. Cash will be used for recruitment and expanding the company's partnerships along with its live event schedule. And finally, JDID, the Indonesian spin-off of e-commerce group JD.com, launched in 2015 with private equity firm Provident Capital. It's also valued at more than $1 billion, a source has told Indonesian tech news portal Daily Social. The company has yet to confirm the identity of any external investors, but rumours suggest they could include another Indonesian unicorn, Gojek. To square the circle, both GD.com and Provident invested in a $1 billion round for Gojek early last year.
Funds, here we have energy management and automation technology producer Schneider Electric, which has supplied $10 million for Israel-based VC firm Grove Ventures' second fund sized at $120 million. The oversubscribed fund, Grove 2, was closed a week ago without the firm identifying any LPs, though it's described them as institutional and strategic investors as well as industry leaders. US-based real estate-focused venture capital firm Fifth Wall closed a $100 million fund on Wednesday that includes several property developers as limited partners. Commercial real estate provider Cushman and Wakefield is an LP, as are real estate investment trusts Maceridge, Acadia Realty Trust and Nuveen Real Estate, the latter a subsidiary of asset manager TIAA Investments. And Japan-based venture capital firm iNest Capital has closed its first fund at 6.6 billion yen, that's 61 of your American dollars, 61 million of your American dollars, having secured commitments from backers including corporates Power Solutions and Entity Docomo. IT services firm Power Solutions and mobile network operator Entity Docomo were joined by financial services firm Mitsuo Bank and Fuji Startup Ventures, a CVC vehicle for media company Fuji TV. The limited partners were filled out by Mitsuo Securities Principal Investment which represents investment bank Mitsuo Securities and the Japanese government's organization for small and medium enterprises and regional innovation. Exits. Here we have Salesforce already touched upon by Jim earlier. Salesforce has agreed to acquire a CRM app developer Velocity, a portfolio company of its Salesforce Ventures unit, in a $1.33 billion all-cash deal. Velocity had raised $163 million from an investor base, also including Accenture and New York Life. And the transaction marks the fifth M&A exit for Salesforce Ventures this year, following Simplus, Avariant, Quid and Level 11. Food delivery has been one of the better-funded portions of the mobile commerce market, perhaps second only to ride-hailing, and DoorDash's investors look like they may be in for a lucrative exit. The company has confidentially filed for an IPO three months after closing its Series G round at $700 million at a $13 billion valuation. Its investors include SoftBank Vision Fund, whose parent company first invested in DoorDash at a $1.4 billion valuation, and it'll hope the recent market turmoil caused by coronavirus panic doesn't affect its prospects. And it isn't a conventional M&A corporate exit, but Takeda is buying celiac disease drug developer PVP Biologics three years after paying $35 million for an option to fully acquire the University of Washington spin-out once it had advanced its lead product candidate to a certain stage. The size of the deal could eventually reach $330 million if PVP reaches every developmental and regulatory milestone and its drug will join Takeda's own celiac disease candidate in the corporate's product pipeline. And finally, some comings and goings. US-based semiconductor and data technology producer Intel has hired Lisa Coker as a managing director and entrepreneur in residence. Coker came from industrial and power technology conglomerate General Electric, where she had held a variety of managerial roles for nearly two decades at its GE Capital Real Estate Division and GE Ventures, its corporate venturing arm. Coca had most recently been Managing Director of Enterprise Software at GE Ventures for seven years from 2012. US-based plumbing and pipe valves and fittings distributor Ferguson Enterprises has named Blake Luce Managing Director of its investment arm Ferguson Ventures. 
He joined Ferguson in, 20, in 2005 and held multiple sales and business development positions before helping form and run Ferguson Ventures in 2018 as a director at the unit. Global Corporate Venturing actually selected him as an emerging leader last month. Brilliant proof that my colleague Edison Fu's methodology for the ranking is impeccable. And finally, Helmut Schönenberger, Managing Director of Technical University of Munich's innovation arm Unternehmertum and Managing Director of its venture capital affiliate UVC Partners, has been appointed Vice President Entrepreneurship at the university. He's joined the university's Board of Management, where he will be responsible for the design and continued development of the university's entrepreneurship strategy. Appointment actually comes after the university named Schönenberger as an honorary professor last year. He's been in charge of Unternehmertum since 2002, having co-founded the office after writing a thesis that compared the Stanford ecosystem with that of TUM and argued that Munich needed an innovation centre. Well, that's one way to get yourself a job, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Write a PhD thesis. <laughs> exactly. Spend, spend a bit of time and then say, we need this here and uh, this is how it works. But that's how innovation happens. So it's good to see you. Thanks for that, Thierry. And uh, thanks for the, uh, for the past week and catch up with everyone over next week. Speak soon. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. Goodbye. And that is it. If you do have any feedback, questions, comments, you can reach me via email at thehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Please don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues as well. And if this is your first episode, do head on over to that subscribe button. With that, I wish you a productive week and we will be back with you next week. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.